Welcome to episode 6 of the US Sports Hub podcast. My name is Curtis McCosh and as always we're going to be talking about everything that is happening in the big leagues in the States. We're going to be talking American football, basketball, ice hockey and of course baseball. And of course it wouldn't be the US Sports Hub podcast without Adam McKendry who joins me on FaceTime. How are you? Uh, you're too kind mate. Um, I, I feel like you could do this without me, but uh, I'll take the compliment. No, you're the man with the stats. Um, I, I couldn't do this without you. But we're doing it on FaceTime today because it is a bitterly cold morning in Northern Ireland, mm-hmm. bitterly cold Tuesday morning, and modern technology kind of gives us the option to stay in the house and do this with the heat on, so why not? I haven't even left my bedroom, so <laughs> that kind of works in a good way for both of us. So uh, how have you been then? All good? I'm good, yeah. I've been uh, just enjoying another great week of sport. Yeah, I mean, we're we've had the World Series. We're moving into the final week of the trade deadline for the NFL uh, and the NHL and the NBA are fully underway now. Very exciting. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Obviously, we missed the week last week, and um, mm-hmm. you know, schedules just conflicted and stuff, and it kind of means the very end of the last podcast we didn't know who was going to be in the World Series, right. and the very start of the next podcast we now know who has won it. Um, yeah, so, yeah. It, was, it, was, it was a bit disappointing. I, I really wanted it to go on for another week because then it could have finished on Halloween night, which would yeah. have been pretty cool. But, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, we'll talk yeah, about it very soon. Uh, so like you say, over the past couple or well, over the past sort of week or so then, we've reached the, the midway point of the regular season in American football, basketball and ice hockey now in full flow, and we have a World Series winner. So where do you think we should start today? Let's go for the NFL. Let's go for the NFL. Let's do it. So, in the NFL, we have one unbeaten team left. We've reached the midway point, and we're talking about the Rams. Well, this was their hardest game so far, and it certainly panned out that way. Uh, the Rams just about holding off the Packers 29-27 to stay unbeaten. Give a lot of credit to Greg Zerland for kicking that 34-yard field goal with 2.05 left. I mean, a lot of people think kickers have a very easy job in the NFL whenever all they've got to do is kick it straight and you've got it. But you've got to bear in mind all the pressure that's on them. You yeah. see guys like Crosby uh, falling apart in previous weeks. It's not as easy whenever the pressure's on you. So give credit to Zerlin for stepping up and actually getting it done. But talking about the Rams as a whole, they just keep going. This juggernaut just keeps rolling. And every time someone throws up a potential roadblock, they just steam right over the top of it and say, we don't care, we're just going to keep going. And as a result, they've started 8-0 for the only the second time in franchise history. And that's including their St. Louis time as well. So this is the thing. They're, every time you think this could be the time that they lose that unbeaten record, they keep going. They've had cornerback problems. They've had questions over whether their secondary uh, is good enough in general. But every time that just keeps getting thrown up, they bat it away. And as a result, they're 8-0. And this is the first time they had to grind out a win. And they did it. And I think that's a huge feather in their cap. Because a lot of people thought as soon as they hit a really tough team that gave them a test for the full 60 minutes, they might struggle. Now these guys just battled away. They stayed in there the whole time. And whenever their backs were up against the wall, they find a way to get out of it. Yeah, it kind of shows you that they are the real deal, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. You, you look at how the Patriots have struggled and how they've had to battle back from a couple per weeks. The Rams haven't had that yet. And a lot of people think, OK, well, they're, they're bound to have a tough stretch at some point. They're bound to have a bad stretch where something doesn't click or something doesn't quite go right. But they just find ways to get around it. You know, what Todd McVay's doing there uh, is very impressive in the, what they're doing. I, th- I think uh, Sean McVay, sorry, Sean, why did I say Todd? I'm talking about Todd Gurley. In fact, you know, I will, I'll talk about Todd Gurley now. I was really impressed by what he did at the end of the game. In, a, in an era where individual stats are so important in American sports, in an era where everybody loves to put emphasis on who scored the most touchdowns, who made the most yards, Todd Gurley, when I think it was about 40 seconds left, is in for a touchdown. He will score the touchdown if he keeps running. But instead of going for the touchdown and giving Aaron Rodgers a chance to go back up the field and possibly pull off a miraculous comeback, he dives at the one-yard line and he ends that game. Yeah, that, That's selfless. That's team-driven thinking. That's a huge thing for the Rams. If they have that team mentality that keeps them together, and I think they do based on what I've seen over the first few weeks of the season, 
I think they could go really, really far. Yeah, it says a lot about the team chemistry that they have, and, and that team chemistry will bring you to the postseason. I think it's a given that we're going to see the Rams in the postseason at this stage. But what about Green Bay? I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at the, at the standings here. The Rams are 8 0, obviously. And the next closest to them, the NFC West, are Seattle at 4 and 3. So, you know, they've already got a four game lead on Seattle, and we've only got eight weeks left. So if the Rams can go uh, 500, you would imagine they're going to win the NFC West without breaking much of a sweat. As for Green Bay, you expected so much more from them. And in a game like this, you would have expected them to see it out. You would expect a team like Green Bay to have that wherewithal, to have that know-how, to see out tight games like this. And they just didn't. Even whenever you've got Aaron Rodgers throwing 286 yards, he was beaten on the day by Jared Goff. But he did enough to win this game, and the defense just didn't step up for them. Now they're in a real battle to make the playoffs. Now, the NFC North isn't overly good this year. You know, the fact that the Bears are leading it at 4-3 and three shows that, that this is anybody's division. Anybody could win it. And that, I think, is why uh, the Packers are sticking in it. If they traded for some help at the deadline uh, coming this week, I think they could immediately elevate themselves to clear favourites in this division. But they need to do a lot more because this is a team that has the pieces in place to be a playoff contender, but they're not. And you've got to ask the questions why. Maybe it's on the coaching side. And of course, a lot of it relies on keeping Aaron Rodgers fit as well, doesn't it? He had that scare sort of back at the start of the season. He's coming back around now, but a lot of it does rely on keeping him in the team. We've talked about this so much. Aaron Rodgers is the heartbeat of this team. He's the QB. He's the MVP. Everything good that they do comes through him. And if they can't keep him fit and healthy and on the field, then they're not going to do anything. They immediately go from playoff contenders to also runs. And that's that's the bottom line. And as I said, you know, Rogers had a good game on Sunday. He just couldn't. Uh, he just wasn't helped out by the rest of his team, particularly the defense. And for for me, that's the disappointing thing. Whenever you have someone as good as Rogers, if the rest of your team isn't living up to the to the high standard that he's setting, then you're not going to be able to get very far. And he is going to be uh, filled with regret in terms of what he's not able to do with Green Bay. I'm, I'm talking like he might request a trade or something like that. He's not going to do that. He is Mr. Green Bay. Yeah. But, you know, you, you feel sorry for him that he's putting in consistent performances week on week on week and he's not getting it back from his teammates. Uh, let's move on to the Saints then. We talked about this last time because the Saints are very, very quietly doing well. They've gone 6-1. and one. That, I mean, didn't see it coming. No, we didn't see it coming. We saw them doing well. We didn't see it maybe going this well, but um, I don't think they're going quietly anymore. I think people have suddenly yeah. sat up and realised, okay, New Orleans are here to stay, and they've taken down another big team in Minnesota with a 30-20 win. I, I want to go back and talk about Adam Thielen just for a second, and not because he's my namesake or anything, <laughs> I, as much as I like that. Um <laughs> Thielen tied Calvin Johnson's record for the most consecutive 100-yard games to start a season with eight. Now, that's really impressive to to get 100 yards in eight consecutive games. You're running good routes, you're getting good service from your quarterback, and you're really pumping those legs whenever you get down the field. He's had an amazing start to the season. He's really boosted his stock. He's a guy who sort of came onto the scene maybe uh, a year or two ago. And now he's really established himself as one of the elite receivers in the NFL. Ironically, you look at it the other side, like he, he can break it next week. He can break that record next week. But ironically, you look at it the other way, and you could argue that Taylor cost the Vikings a touchdown when his fumble was returned 54 yards by Marshawn Lattimore just before the half. And then the Saints eventually scored off it of Alvin Kamara. These are the small margins Say, if the Vikings score that, I think at that point they would have gone 20-10 up, I think it was. And the the whole context of the game changes because you go in at the half 10 points up as opposed to uh, four points down. Yeah. And you're talking a completely different game. You're talking a completely different strategy. 
for the second half and said the Saints had all the momentum. They came out in the second half. They held on. They ground out the win that Green Bay should have ground out against the Rams. And as a result, they go 6-1. And, and Minnesota now are really starting to fumble in uh, in a real division that they should be winning. Like, I, you know that I had them down as my yeah. Super Bowl picks this year. And to be honest... There's enough there that I still see that they could be a Super Bowl team, but they have to find a way to get it to click. It's not clicking at the moment. Whereas you look at the other side, New Orleans have clicked. Yeah. You know, you've got Drew Brees playing as good as he ever has. Alvin Kamara, great running back. Their defense has really stepped up in the past few weeks. They've really become uh, one of the more shut down teams in the NFL. And I think that's uh, that's really boding well as they go forward. I mean, I, I know we're only halfway through, but they're starting to pick up momentum and they need to just keep that going. You say we're only halfway through. It is at this point of the season where where you see the bits starting to fall into place, and it's really looking like New Orleans could be a postseason team as well, isn't it? Oh, of course, I, I think New Orleans are going to make the postseason, no problem, um, especially if they keep this up. Because in in that N- NFC South, the Panthers are are keeping pace with them. They're five and two, um, and they're they're doing some nice things below the radar as well. I think a lot of people overlook the NFC South. In general, a, a lot of the attention is actually being taken by Tampa Bay. Yeah. Just because of the stories that are going around, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jameis Winston, um, that whole saga. Um, but the Saints and the Panthers are slowly being two of the more impressive sides in the NFL. And I think whenever you, uh, you look at the Saints, you just you see a playoff team. You, they have the offensive capabilities. Um, and then the defense is starting to step up, which is what they were uh, what they were needing more than most. Um, let's move on to the London game, the Jaguars and the uh, Eagles. <laughs> I mean, controversial in some ways, not just because of the state of the pitch for Spurs game last night. There was a lot of talk <laughs> about that, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was an interesting game, and the the Eagles managed to hang on and get that win. They've not been great at closing out games this season, but they managed to get it done in London. Yeah. We talked before the season began about how difficult it is to defend a Super Bowl. And I think the Eagles suffered from that very early in the campaign um, because they did, they just didn't find that spark that they had last year. And I think a lot of people are expecting them to burst out of the gate and be that elite team that everyone was looking at. Now that the pressure's off them a bit... Nobody's really talking about them now as Super Bowl contenders anymore. They're talking about them as potential playoff, a potential playoff team. But all of a sudden, they have found something in there that has really uh, brought them back. You look at Carson Wentz going 286 yards for three touchdowns in the win. That's the kind of thing that you need. You just need your quarterback to pull out performances that. Will, will lead you to wins regardless of what the rest of your team's doing. For me, I'm more concerned about Jacksonville. Like, this team started so well, people thought they would ride that defense to a Super Bowl title and nobody would be able to touch them. And all of a sudden, their form has just plummeted off yeah. a cliff. Um, quite aptly, they were in England. It, it probably fell off the edge <laughs> of the um, I think the thing with Jacksonville is, though, Generally, whenever Jacksonville sort of have a bad game or they lose, attention immediately turns to Blake Bortles. He actually had a decent game this time, didn't he? He didn't play badly. He he did, but the problem is whenever you have that Super Bowl caliber defense, it hasn't looked like it over the last few weeks, and I'll give them that. But whenever you have that defense that is going to back you up, your quarterback only needs to be good to lead you. He doesn't need to be great. He doesn't need to be Tom Brady. He doesn't need to be Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees. All he needs to be is good, and Blake Bortles hasn't been, and that that's the big problem. We, we talked about this, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. If, if the Jaguars are going to win a Super Bowl, it's in spite of Blake Bortles, not because of Blake Bortles. Yeah. And on Sunday, we didn't see enough from him to suggest that he's the quarterback going forward. I, I still don't get why they didn't go for someone over the off-season because um, they just don't have a backup to Bortles who's going to step in and be an upgrade whenever Bortles doesn't play well. They've got Bortles. Um, I'll be honest, I can't remember the name of the uh, 
the backup quarterback. I have a laptop here, so I can I can look it up here while I'm talking. Cody Kessler. But that that's the problem. You have the Super Bowl caliber defense. All you need is someone who can pass the ball on even on short plays. Yeah. You don't you don't need to go for the big Hail Mary plays. Get the simple basic plays right and this team wins games. And Bortles isn't doing that. Um, should we move on to the Texans then, who beat your Dolphins? Yeah, I, I really didn't want to put this in, but I felt <laughs> I had to because the Texans are finally hitting the high notes. Um, yeah, they, they defeated my Dolphins in Thursday Night Football. They've won five straight. They're now five and three. They're top of the AFC South. The, the Texans are one of those teams that you're just not 100% sure what you're going to get. And at the start of the season, everyone thought, They've gone 0-3. This is going to be a bad year. Deshaun Watson wasn't clicking with his receivers. Um, There was no real chemistry. Their defense wasn't uh, as good as it needed to be. And all of a sudden, they've turned things around. It's quite similar to the Eagles. As soon as people stopped talking about them, all of a sudden they started to perform well. The pressure's off and then they can... Yeah, relieving that pressure has sort of lifted a bit of a weight off their shoulders. And now you look at Watson throwing five TDs. That's tied for a career high in one game. One of the big things for me about Houston is if they could go and get some help at the trade deadline, these guys could elevate themselves into a real playoff contender. You look at the fact they were looking at Des Bryant Earlier, uh, I think it was last week, they were exploring the possibility of bringing him in as a free agent. They're not anymore. But if they could go out at the trade deadline and get some help, I know Golden Tate's available. Um, We're going to talk about someone else who's available in a second that I think could be a good (laughs) fit for them. Um, Even Odell Beckham Jr. is someone who's been garnering a lot of trade interest and the Giants might consider moving. he might be a little bit expensive for the Texans, but he, he's still there. If if they could give Watson one more elite receiver, like top-of-the-line receiver, this team has a very high upside. And I, I certainly don't see too many teams in the South are going to really push them if they can keep this uh, this form going. Right, we'll take a look at some of the stories that are coming out in this week. And there's finally been some changes at uh, Cleveland now I know Cleveland sort of started to turn it around you know two or three games in but something had to change there didn't it yeah it looked like they were turning things around they actually won a game and (laughs) whenever turning things around is just winning a game you know things have been bad even drawing a game that was sort of in a way seen as turning things around I know that (laughs) it's amazing to think that winning a game and drawing the game constitutes turning things around (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's bizarre. But yeah, um, the Browns have finally lost patience with head coach Hugh Jackson. He's out. Offensive coordinator Todd Haley, he's out too. Look, Jackson had to go. Yeah, There's no getting around this. His record was three wins, 35 losses, and one draw. And that, that's often, we, we were actually talking about this in the office last night. He'll probably struggle to find a head coach job again, given that this stint was awful. His stint with the Oakland Raiders in 2011 was awful as yeah. well. He he took one of the teams that were supposed to be competing for the Super Bowl and uh, got them to miss the playoffs altogether. So uh, I think Jackson has just found himself at a level too high for his capabilities. He might come back as an offensive or defense co- defensive coordinator, but I, I, don't, I don't think he's going to work at a high level again, unfortunately. Because the thing was... The Browns had made enough of a, a splash in free agency and they made a few important trades to suggest that this team was good enough yeah. to at least be a mid-level team. You know, you, you talk about drafting drafting uh, Baker Mayfield, you talk about going out and trading for Jarvis Landry. Um, these guys had the pieces in place and there's obviously other names I'm forgetting about. You know, you talk about Miles Garrett, having Miles Garrett at defensive end as well. You know, they they had all the pieces in place to at least be a mid-table yeah. team, and yet here we are. They're still sitting um, 
I don't even know their record. I can't, I can't even <laughs> think of their record. The thing is, but defensively, they're quite a good side, aren't they? Like the, defensively, they are. they're they're tight, they're good. It it was the offense that was the problem with them, and it has been sort of. Well, that, that's that's exactly why Todd Haley's gone, um, because whenever you have a guy coming out of college who is a star quarterback, whenever you have one of the one of the best receivers in the NFL last year coming in. Whenever you have a good offensive line as well, that offensive line is very underrated. He just wasn't getting the best out of him. Yeah, and then just uh, before we move on, you're talking about trades to um to the Texans, and you wanted to mention a name. Of course, that is Deshaun Jackson from the Buccaneers, mm. my team. <laughs> I would be sad to see him go, but. I, I mean, they're very keen to hang on to him. I know that. And they are starting yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick next week after they, they subbed him out for Winston this week. What, what do you well, think? What, what you just said there at the end is very important because Jackson hasn't been playing well recently, but that's with Winston yeah. at quarter. He started the season well when Fitzpatrick was quarterback. They, they found a rapport that... Uh, Jackson and Winston just never seem to get, yeah. and I think that's very important. And I think that probably played a big, uh, a big role in the brass decision to start Fitzpatrick this coming week, because they're going to try and keep him. Uh, they're going to try and keep Jackson, try and keep him on side, and they're going to say, "Look, we're starting the guy that you did well with last year, so you know, build up your stock again." And you'll see what we can do. But at the end of the day, if he wants to go, he wants to go. He wants to win. The Bucks are not going to win this year. I'm sorry, Curtis. No, um, I know. I'm, I'm very aware <laughs> of it now. So I'm, the first two games of the season, I thought, hang on, hang on, this could be it. But yeah, it just wasn't to be. However, I mean, it was very impressive what, what Fitzpatrick came on the pitch and did on Sunday. Well, <clears throat> I think whenever they brought him on, they just sort of thought to themselves, "Look, what have we got to lose? See, see this game out and put yourself in the frame for starting next week." He most certainly did that. Yeah. At seventeen points, uh, he pulled a seventeen-point deficit. He erased in that fourth quarter. Fitzpatrick was outstanding. I actually thought it was very cruel that they then, they then lost in overtime. This is against the Bengals. Um, but like that's. Whenever you see the difference between what Fitzpatrick brought and Jameis Winston yeah. brought, you've got to start thinking to yourself that Winston isn't all he's cracked up to be. Well, yeah, it begs the but, question then: Is he the franchise QB that Tampa Bay want? And I'm, to be honest, I'm not 100 percent sure. I think you put him on the trade block. I think you start. I'm not sure there are too many teams who want to take him at this point. Maybe, um, maybe Jacksonville will want to take him yeah. off their hands um, to offer a, a proper alternative to Blake Bortles. Maybe a change of scenery will do Jameis some good. But I, I think at this point, you've got to run with Fitzpatrick as your quarterback and you've got to be at least exploring what you could get for Winston in a in a return. Uh, so moving on to week nine then, do you think the Rams will go 9-0? That is your game of the week, the Rams at the Saints. And that's a pretty big game because both teams looking damn good. We've talked about them both. And I think the Rams come out of this one. What do you reckon? This is by far the biggest game this week. I, you can't deny it. It's you know the eight and no team against the six and one team. You're either going to have the Rams firmly establishing themselves as by far the best team in the NFL. Yeah. Or you're going to have the Saints finally taking away the Rams' unbeaten record. And for me, it's exciting either way. You know, however it however it finishes, you're either going to see uh, one team really take a stand and say. Come get us! We are we are the best team, or you're gonna see uh, see them finally show a few chinks in the armor. I said earlier the Rams. Every time someone throws up a problem, they just bat it away. They just knock it out of the park and say we're just gonna keep going. And we've talked about their cornerback issues. We were talking about the cornerback issues earlier, um, and especially against someone who has such a good range as Breeze. Yeah. Who, can pick a pass from anywhere. That's going to be very important. It could end up being that these two offenses just go for it. And I think if, if you're the Rams, you're really putting a focus on your offense this week to try and make up for the fact that Breeze is going to pick holes in that secondary and he is going to find his receivers down the field. 
whenever he's uh, whenever he's on song. So the, this is going to be the biggest test that the Rams have had without a shadow of the doubt, and they've had two in the space of uh, two weeks. And I think that's important to bear in mind as well. You know, they've just come off a really tough game against Green Bay where they really had to battle. They've expended a lot of mental energy to get through the Green Bay game. And now they go to New Orleans and have to do it all over again. That's very tough to do in two weeks. And I think that plays right into New Orleans' hands. And I think just the way the Saints have been playing recently, the fact that they've taken down Minnesota and and they actually made it pretty comfortable in terms of how they did it. It, it wasn't a grind. It was, it was a pretty decent win. Yeah, I think they can keep that momentum going this week. So I'm going to go for New Orleans taking down the Rams. Okay, well, that happens on Sunday at 9.25, by far the biggest game of the week. Should we move on to some baseball? What do you think? We should. Yes. So we spent uh, quite a bit of time in the last sort of podcast building up to the World Series and then we took a week off last week and missed it. <laughs> and now we know who the winner is and it was who we always sort of deep down thought it was going to be, the Boston Red Sox, the winners of the World Series. And they did it pretty comfortably, didn't they? Well, see, the thing is, I, I said all along that whoever won the American League pennant would win the whole thing. Yeah. I don't think on the podcast but I certainly said a lot off the podcast and I, I have a lot of friends who are Red Sox fans and the roster they assembled the feel good factor they had the the fun they looked like they were having out on the field I feel like it would have been cruel if they hadn't yet yeah. and I, I know it's sport I, I know what happens that teams who are supposed to win it don't win it and I'm not trying to argue that but you just looked at that Red Sox juggernaut and you just thought how does anybody take them down and for all the work they did I think they were deserved winners and I think one thing you mentioned to me was just the depth in the bullpen that they had and just the depth of the team in general and that really showed right across you know all of the postseason didn't it they didn't really get challenged too much if they lost the game they come out and they sort of took the next three or whatever it was and yeah. it really showed that they are hands down the best team in baseball well you look at that game too and the fact that sorry game three game three in the world series uh the fact it went to 18 innings yeah the fact that nathan Avaldi comes in and pitches 97 pitches in extra innings and takes the loss. That's incredible from a guy who you brought in the trade deadline to help you as a starter. And he comes in and gives you 97 pitches worth of outstanding output. He didn't deserve to lose that game. Someone had to, but he, he really didn't deserve to. But throughout that lineup, there was just so much depth. You go down through the bullpen. Craig Kimball's not performing. Okay, we'll turn to Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly's not performing. We'll turn to Matt Barnes. Um, Steve Pierce at first base was an absolute revelation. He's yeah. the MVP series. The Blue Jays were practically paying the Red Sox to take him off their hands. That's that's how much they wanted rid of him. He's come over and been an absolute revelation at first base. He's been outstanding. And to be the MVP of the series just shows the good work that the Red Sox uh, front office did to realise that Pierce was someone who could help them out. A lot of teams would have probably looked at him and said that you haven't played well this season, we're going to pass on you, spend the rest of your time this season in the Blue Jays, re- um, go again in free agency. The Red Sox said, no, 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 we think you can help us out. And he's been one of their key World Series, but he's been one of their key postseason performers, let alone World Series performers. And that's all credit to the Red Sox front office. They did a great job in bringing him in. But as as you said, throughout that lineup, just so much depth. That was that was one of the big differences for me in the World Series. Whenever you got through the first three of the Red Sox, you then had another three coming up behind yeah. you. Jade Martinez coming up in that second three. And you go down into the bottom three and you bring in the likes of Jackie Bradley Jr. and Brock Holt and whoever was playing catcher, either Sandy Leone or 
Christian Vasquez. There's no let up in terms of the power, in terms of the hitting capabilities. Whereas the Dodgers, he just didn't quite have that. There was there's a little bit down the bottom end of the roster where you just thought, okay, we can we can breeze through you guys, get back to the top of the top of the roster. Red Sox, no let up. This is one of the best teams that has been assembled in recent memory, certainly. Yeah, it's just something that the Dodgers didn't have, and it sort of got me thinking. And and there's no scientific basis in this. It was just a hunch that had Milwaukee or Milwaukee got through to the the World Series, I think we might have seen a better game. What do you think? I just I I, I think Milwaukee looked really good. They looked like a fun team to watch, um, and I just thought maybe it might have well, been a yeah, better game. But I, I completely agree. I think what happened with Milwaukee was they just kind of wrote the fact they weren't supposed to be there. You know, the yeah. people thought they'd be good, but nobody thought they'd get that far and I think that that was one of the things that they sort of they played on the yeah season. you know we're not supposed to be here so let's just go out and give it a bit of a rip um, and that played out well I'm going to agree with you I think we would have seen a better game I think we would have seen a more exciting and energetic game than what we did I still think the Red Sox would have won but like, let's not take anything away from yeah. the Dodgers I, I don't want to sit here and talk about the Brewers <laughs> whenever they weren't even in the World Series <laughs> The Dodgers were a very good team. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think they were the fourth best team in the MLB, and that ended up just showing up. I think I think the true World Series was Boston against Houston in the American League yeah. Conference Series as opposed to the actual World Series because Houston and probably the Yankees were both better than the, both better teams than the Dodgers. So in fairness to the Red Sox, they've taken the Yankees. Yeah. They've taken the Astros. They've done it the hard way in the postseason. <laughs> and then they took the World Series as well on top of that. So I, I would say they are undisputed champions, uh, in all honesty. And the Dodgers, I think, they were the best team in the National League. Uh, I'll not dispute that. I, I think they had a good season, especially given that for a long time, people weren't really looking at them as a, a superstar team. They were looking at them as a team who were sort of chugging along, and then all of a sudden, um, they really came into their own. But I, I think, you, I, I don't think that final series was the World Series. Yeah. I, I really think it was the Houston game uh, or the Houston series for Boston. That was the true decider. So that's pretty much it for baseball. Then we're moving into the offseason. There's a couple of big free agencies happening, isn't there? And sort of like anybody, you see anybody moving? Any big moves on the horizon? I'm, or I'm going to be honest. I'm really excited for the winter meetings. I, I love trades. I love free agency. There's a there's a, an account I follow on Twitter called MLB Roster Moves and if anybody is interested in following the winter meetings they are great they're over everything if a player so much as sneezes you will know about it (laughs) so you go into the winter meetings teams are talking non-stop you'll have trade opportunities flying one way and they'll come back the other way and suddenly you'll have another team involved it's brilliant you've got stuff going on all over the place and it's really fun to watch the journalists who are there trying to keep on top of everything because there's just so much going on but as you said there's a few key free agents i mean bryce harper and manny machado are the two headliners without a doubt they do those two guys are superstars and where they end up will be massive i still think there's a chance harper will go back to the nationals I think he'll definitely dip his toe in the in the free agency pool and see what's out there for him. But I he likes the Nationals, and I think there's a possibility he signs a contract extension there. Um, Machado, it's been long known the Yankees like him. It's been long known that they want someone in at shortstop that uh, will replace Didi Gregorius. He, he would definitely fit the bill on both regards, so... I wouldn't say it's a foregone conclusion, but I certainly think the Yankees will be right yeah. up there in terms of the of the bidding war. And then you look at three pitchers. I'm going to talk about them for a little bit here because I think they're very important. Craig Kimbrell, who has been lights out for Boston, he's been outstanding as a closer. Um, he goes into free agency. He's going to pick up a massive paycheck and whoever gets him establishes themselves as one of the best end of innings bullpens 
in the league. You look at a team like Cleveland, yeah, or even even the Yankees again, where you can form that stacked bullpen that even if your starter only goes five innings in the case of Cleveland, well, then you turn over to Andrew Miller, you turn over to Brad Hand, you turn over to Cody Allen, and then you have Craig Kimbrell coming in as the closer. There's four innings down. I just made a really weird four with my fingers there. Um, <laughs> but there, there's four innings of relief work that's just shut down. You know, yeah. four late bullpen pitchers. If you can get your starter to go five innings, you can close out a close game in four innings, which is incredible. And then you've got two very good starters in Patrick Corbin, and Dallas Keuchel. Now, Keuchel hasn't been quite as good as his uh, Cy Young year. I think it was three years ago. He's slowly been on the decline. And when I say that, I don't mean he's been terrible. He yeah. just hasn't lived up to the star billing that he had whenever he was uh, whenever he was pitching so well three years ago. Corbin's probably the better option of the two. But those are two really good starters that can slot in, slot in at number one or number two in any rotation in, in the major leagues. And they're going to be ones that will be subject to a bidding war as well. And it'll be interesting to see where they land. I know a lot of uh, a lot of teams like left-handed pitching in their starting rotation because you know they're, they're at such a premium, especially elite guys like that. And there's one name that we haven't mentioned at all who's very important: Clayton Kershaw. Of course, could, could opt out of his deal with uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers and. He was talking about it after the World Series loss. He said he still wasn't sure. He's still assessing his options. The usual sports player jargon. You could probably play bingo with all the cliches he pulled out. <laughs> you wonder if he opts out, all of a sudden, all 30 teams are in on him. Yeah. All 30 teams are going for Clayton Kershaw because he is, without a shadow of a doubt, one of the best pitchers out there and he immediately turns any rotation from good to elite or elite to unbelievably outstanding so that's one that's you've really got to keep your eye on because in my opinion if Kershaw opts out he becomes the premium free agent above Harper and Machado um, and what do you think do you think do you think he's likely to to opt out of it or is it just kind of 50 50 at this stage it's very hard to tell, but I would have said he definitely opted out before the season began. Yeah. And I would have said he opted out he would have opted out before the postseason. Now that they've lost the World Series and now he's seen how close they came, it, it becomes a little bit murkier because there's always that feeling of we got so close, I could go again with these guys. I mean it's, it's a two year pact that he would have to opt into. Yeah. So, you know, go again for two years and then I'll test free agency. But then again, you know, you have two bad years and your stock plummets and you're not getting a good deal from someone else, which is a bit of a problem. Um, so it's, it's weighing that up. I think, personally, I think he will opt out, but it, it, it is 50-50. He may or he may not. I, I think he will. So uh, obviously, as I've said many times now, this is my first real season watching baseball. That's the the sort of the postseason over, and now mm-hmm. we're moving into this sort of trade season and stuff like that. I know how it works in football and basketball and all that. When are we starting like to likely see big moves? Then when does that sort of start to happen? You'll likely see big moves when the winter meetings start. I, I don't know what the date is this year. I, I know it's November, December to the very end of November, uh, start of December is usually when they are. I don't know the exact dates. Um, but that's when you'll start to see the big moves start to happen. You, you might see a few smaller trades going on just before then, or a couple guys might get picked up in free agency before that. But in terms of the big, big signings, you're waiting for uh, the winter meetings because that's when chief executives and general managers of teams will start meeting with other general managers and other chief executives to discuss trades and it's when teams will meet with agents to say that we we like your player we want to make an offer to him um so that that's when there's there's usually and i think it's more an unwritten rule than an actual rule but there's sort of a a two-week sort of period after the world series where people are like right let's let's just calm down season's just over we'll we'll sit here on our hands and we'll do nothing and then everything will ramp back up again 
But I, in all honesty, this is the most hectic part of the baseball season because, as I said, you've got stuff flying left, right, and centre all over the place, and it's absolutely brilliant. So we are going to be talking baseball over the next couple of weeks then? We absolutely will be talking baseball. <laughs> maybe, not for, maybe not for the next couple of weeks, but... Um, I can actually see the excitement in your face. I can as, see as it. like it's September rolls round. I am in my element. Right. Shall we move on to something that is only just getting underway, some basketball? Let's go for it. So we're sort of in the full flow of the NBA season now, the regular season well underway, and we have one unbeaten team left. That team is the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, but I've been really impressed with the Bucks, especially because it hasn't been an easy start to the season. They, they played the Toronto Raptors last night, um, and I didn't get the all of the game, I saw a little bit of it, um, but this this was a game where the Bucks easily could have lost their unbeaten record and nobody would have batted an eyelid because it's the Raptors who are supposed to be good. But they actually played a really good game, even without Giannis Antetokounmpo. They managed to bring out a really good offensive style of play that Mike Budenholzer has brought in. In fact, let, let's talk about Budenholzer for a second. We talked about him before the season began and how his system could really benefit Milwaukee. That's proven to be absolutely correct. You know, they're absolutely thriving under this system. And we, we gave Boston's front office credit for bringing in Steve Pierce during the uh, during the World Series. Give Milwaukee's front office credit for bringing in Budenholzer and realizing this guy's system fits with what we're trying to do and the players we have. And it's worked out brilliantly so far. They're 7-0. As I said, they ended Toronto's unbeaten record last night with a great win at home. And one of the things that impresses me even more is they're not going around boasting about their success. They're not being all brazen and saying, look at us, nobody thought we'd be this good, but here we are, 7-0, we're great. You know, they're, they're quietly just going about their business, knocking teams off one by one, and it's a really enjoyable style of basketball to watch. They're they're really good. And one of the things they proved last night is they can do it without Janus. They don't need him in the lineup to win games. And that's important because obviously he makes your team better. And obviously you want him in that starting five every night. But if there's a night where he's not 100% and you need to sit him for just the night, these guys can go out and do it. You've still got the team there. It's not quite the same for the Cleveland Cavaliers, though. They're coming from the post-LeBron era, and they're not dealing with it too well. Sure, they're not. My goodness, this is awful. We really weren't sure how the post-LeBron era would go in Cleveland. And I think whenever we looked at Cleveland, there was enough veteran leadership in that team that they should have been able to weather the storm. They weren't going to be postseason contenders and don't think anyone saw them as postseason contenders but we, we thought they'd at least start better they're 0-6 to start the season head coach Teron Liu has gone and very unceremoniously dumped I'm actually rather impressed that uh, after last year it took three games for the Suns to fire their head coach this year it took six games for Liu to go from Cleveland which is uh, awful, it took far too long um, I feel sorry for him I do feel sorry for him because their their leaders haven't stepped up and been those post LeBron leaders they needed two or three guys to step up in his absence yeah. and really say we're still a team Like, come on guys, let's get going and they haven't done that now that most of that does fall on Lou's shoulders, don't get me wrong. Yeah. He's, he's the one who has to bring the whole team together. He is the head coach, full stop. Well, he's not anymore. But this this is a team that are in dire straits and need anything. Just just get a win on the board like and work from there. Don't do anything fancy. Don't do anything uh, off the cuff. Just get a win on the board and get some momentum behind you. As ugly as it might be because um, now, now one of the things they have to do now is they have to get Kevin Love back on the court after his toe injury they have to get him playing well 
and they have to get something in return for him because if you let him walk in free agency, you've lost a potential haul for him that you could have got if you traded him at the right time. Yeah, and I mean, it's a very obvious point to make, but it just goes to show you what LeBron actually adds to a team. Everybody knows he's he's one of the best players of all time, but it's that sort of leadership that you get from a player like that, which the Lakers exactly. now have, and you can see that in the Lakers now too. And Oh yeah, I mean, look, they're still a young team, uh, the Lakers, uh, and that's, that's one of the key things. They're a young team that LeBron's trying to instill that winning mentality in, and I think that's important. Um, which is why they haven't quite started as well as a lot of people thought they might. Um, they're a bit but, scrappy, but, though, aren't they, at the minute, the Lakers? They're a bit kind of... With, with the likes of um, Rondo and everything, with the fight, they, they were... Do you remember they got a couple of weeks ago? and They're a yeah, bit scrappy. Yeah, you don't yeah, usually against, expect against that from the Lakers. That yeah, was, that was brutal. We talk about here in Northern Ireland, the fights that go on... GAA games and some of those that have been happening recently and uh, I'm not going to make a point of that because that's that's a whole other debate and it's not, not what we're debating but whenever you look at the, the fire in that team that burst out in that one altercation between the two sides it, it is a little bit concerning and that that's where LeBron needs to step in. I'm, I'm not putting this on LeBron. Yeah. I'm not I'm not saying it's his responsibility to But that's where his leadership time. comes in. But that's yeah, that's that's what he's been brought in to do. He's been brought in for this year to say to these guys, This is what you need to do to win a title. This is what's expected of you to win a title, and this is how you act on the court. So far we haven't seen that from the Lakers, which is why this is gonna be a long process. It's gonna be a season long process to look at guys like Lonzo Ball and uh, Rondo and guys like that. You know, he, he's got to bring them along. He's got to mature them into NBA stars uh, that the Lakers need if they're going to be challenging for a championship. They won't this year, and I've said that from the start, they won't challenge for the championship this year. But if LeBron matures them into the squad that they need to be, and they sit down at the end of the season, and they look at the roster and they say, he's improved, he's improved, he's improved, and we've got LeBron James... Go out and make a splash in free agency next year. Bring in someone like Jimmy Butler. Bring in someone like, um, even someone like Kevin Love. And all of a sudden, you have a championship team next year that competes with Golden State. Um, let's talk about your Boston Celtics not doing just as good as you thought they were going to. They're, yes. not, they're not bad, but they're not. No, they're, they're not bad, but they're not looking sharp. And I think that's what a lot of people thought they'd do. A, a lot of people thought that it would be a two-horse race between the Raptors and the Celtics with the 76ers sort of holding on the background. And instead, the Bucks are there at the top. The Raptors are holding on. And the Celtics just don't look sharp. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk with a little bit more authority because, they, as you said, they are my team. So I am sort of aware of what's going on a bit more than the other teams. But... They're the second lowest average point scorers in the league so far, um, and yet they still are grinding out wins, which says a lot about their defense. But you look at Kyrie Irving's only averaging 14 points a game, and we've seen in previous years, whenever you give him the ball, you give him enough touches, he's elite, he'll score you points from everywhere, he'll he'll put up uh, points all over the place. I think what the problem in Boston is they're trying to spread the touches about between him and Jason Tatum. And both of those guys are good. Kyrie's obviously the the leader of this team, and Tatum is the second guy, and he's a, he's a great second guy to have. But the problem is I think you've got to give one of them more touches. You've got to give one of them precedence to take their game to the next level. If that means sacrificing a few points from Tatum to let Kyrie get another 15 points a night. You absolutely do that. And I think that's the problem. Brad Stevens is trying to uh, is trying to give as many guys as many touches as possible. Now, I think you got to get the ball to Kyrie a lot more, and that's where your success is going to come from, as opposed to trying to get Kyrie and Tatum as much time and as much, uh, as much uh, time in the ball as possible. Uh, no surprise that the big game this week features Golden State, but you've also got the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's Golden State at Minnesota. It's happening on Saturday. That is the big game this week. A lot of stars in that game, isn't there? 
Yeah, um, I, I should just point out it's Saturday at 2.30 a.m., so it's it's like Friday night yeah. and Tuesday morning, just in case people sit up on Saturday night waiting for Golden State against Minnesota, and it happened the night before. Um, it's all right, we live in 2018. Yeah. There is, uh, there's there's catch-up TV and everything like that. Boy. <laughs> I'll start in Minnesota because I, I want to... I talked about Jimmy Butler so much, but... The, the saga still rumbles on. It continues, now, but it's settled down, though. Cause, cause... It has settled down, but the, the Houston Rockets decided that they didn't like that, and they go and offer uh, four first-round picks <laughs> for Butler spread over the next... I, I think it's up to 2025, so it's the next six years they've spread out four first-round picks, which is ridiculous. Like, Butler's good, but he's not that good. Do you think that's a case of trying to unsettle Minnesota? Or no, do they really want? No, I, I think I think it's a genuine offer, and I think it's a genuine offer because Butler is the kind of guy that would fit into that rocket system. He is the kind of guy that would come in and uh, complement what they're trying to do with their sort of three point system. But at, at the same time, I still think that's too much. You know, you're giving up four first rounders. Yeah, like you can't overstate how big that is. Like that's that's a huge amount, and depending on how Houston play over the next few years one of those could be the first overall pick which is um outrageous but just uh, on, on butler himself he is playing well he they said before the start of the season that you know the timberwolves would look for a trade in exchange for butler playing his hardest for them and to this point he has lived up to that side of the bargain he's been very good. I meant to look up some stats. Um, well, I remember talking about it a couple of weeks ago, and, and and we were saying that is absolutely not the way to do it because no, 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 no. But no, it's, like, it seems yeah, to have worked. I I, st- I still think they should trade him. I still think they should be looking at a way to get rid of him because he wants out, they want him out. Look, meet in the middle, give him a trade. But while he while he's still here, he should play his butt off for the team. Yeah, like every week which he is that should not not change but the Timberwolves should be a lot more active in getting a trade for him and if if Houston have offered four first rounders for him I would jump on that without a second's doubt that's that's a great deal for uh, for a guy who you are supposedly trying to trade getting back to the game Golden State um, well Kevin Durant and Steph Curry are in sit back and watch them shine for him uh, it's it's one of those things where they're in that kind of form where if you give them the ball, the defense should just like stand aside and let them get a two pointer, <laughs> as opposed to trying to defend them and potentially giving up the three pointer, because um, they they've just found that form at the start of the season and it does not bode well for the rest of the league. And I, I was reading something earlier this week about is it good if a team uh, if a team goes on and dominates like Golden State does, like it looks like they could do. Uh, and, the, and the questions of, is it unfair that they do that? And should there be some sort of restrictions placed on them? Um, but I, I think it's great. I think it's great to see all these guys come together in one team looking so good. It's enjoyable to watch. It's fun to watch. And in my opinion, long might continue. Because it, at, at, some, at some point... Golden State are going to lose these guys, whether yeah. it be in free agency or retirement, whatever. They're going to lose these guys. They're not going to replace them because they won't have the sufficient draft picks to draft well enough to replace like for like. They're not going to be able to go out and trade because they don't have the players to trade anymore. So at some point, the Warriors' dominance will end. They're not going to be you know, dominating the NBA for the next 50 years while it's happening. Sit back and enjoy it. Well, that's it. The point I was going to make was it's kind of like watching Barcelona in football a few years ago. Who wouldn't want to watch that? They were so, so good. Who would not want to watch that group of guys come together and just annihilate teams with how good they are? Who wouldn't want to watch that? Well, yeah. I I, I don't like making comparisons between two sports. Yeah. uh, Especially whenever, you know, one's NBA and one's football, which which are two completely different sports. But you're absolutely right. You know, just what watching Golden State at the moment is basketball at its best. And for anyone who wants to break that up, I think you should uh, jog on because it's, it's fun. <laughs> it's fu- it's fun. And end of the day, you sit down, you watch a Golden State game, and you're entertained because these guys are just so good. Uh, let's talk some NHL. What do you think? I think that's good. Let's go for it. Mm-hmm.
talk some NHL again, the uh, NHL season in full flow. I can see you're not really concentrating. We're just sort of off air talking. I'm absolutely concentrating. Talking there about... I'm reading up on ice hockey news from the UK just while I was waiting for you to keep going. Oh, sorry, I thought I thought you were looking at the new PSG kit that we were talking about. Well, yeah, I was I was also looking at that. I think I might be in love. So just uh, uh, saying about how you don't like to mix sports and PSG are out there playing in a in a Jordan <laughs> shirt. But no, it is nice, isn't it? It's very no, very I, nice. I don't, shirt. I don't like making comparisons between sports. I don't mind sports. Sorry, sorry, my like fault. My, my, Michael Jordan went and played uh, baseball and basketball. I don't mind that. That's right. No, that was pretty. I, I, I completely forgot about that. He went Space off and played Jam. Space Yeah. Space Jam, man. Come on. Space Jam 2 on the way. Right, let's <laughs> talk about NHL. Let's talk some ice hockey. And the two teams you're liking at the minute are Vancouver and Montreal. Yeah, they're defying the odds. Like These are two teams that everyone thought were going to have horrible years. And all of a sudden, Vancouver is sitting there with 14 points from 13 games. And Montreal have the same number of points from 10 games. Um. I've been particularly impressed by the Canucks, um, given that they've been dealing with key injuries to the I know Elias Pettersson is back, but he was out for a while. We've got Chris Tanev out, Brandon Sutter's out, um, Andreas Nilsson's out. The list goes on. They've got, they've got quite a few guys on the injured reserve. And yet, somehow, they're picking up points all over the place. They've been really impressive. Um, they, down the wild the other night, uh, who were on a five-game winning streak. Uh, they're relying on that young core, but I think they're loving the fact that nobody thinks they're going to c- succeed. They can go out there and play how they want to. They can go out and play um, a really unrestricted game, and I think it's really benefiting them. Um, I've been very impressed. I know they've got uh, Colorado and Chicago coming up this week. Um, whenever you're relying on so many AHL call-ups, it's really tough against two, two other sides who are going to be going for the playoffs. But so the start to the season should give Vancouver fans a lot of uh, a lot of positivity about what they could achieve because they're not going to make the playoffs this year. I think at some point they're going to go through a rough patch and it's just going to happen. But it, there's a lot of promise over what there could be in the future especially if they could draft in a few more guys who, who are going to make an impact in the next couple of years. And in Montreal, um, I, I don't like Montreal at the moment because they shut out my Bruins at the weekend, <laughs> but we'll, we'll quickly move on from that. Um, one of the things that a lot of people said at the start of the season was if Montreal are going to be successful, they need Carey Price to bounce back from the horrible season last year mostly to justify the contract that he's on, um, but also to backstop him the victory. And he's been great so far with a 922 save percentage. And Max Domi, whenever they made that trade for Max Domi with Alex, um, sending Alex Galchenyuk the other way to Arizona, it, it was a case of two very similar players who they were trying to give a different change. They give them a change of scenery to save and pressed, or sorry, I can't use words of them. They gave them a change of scenery to see if it would improve things. Any uh, Max Domi's had a great start. Um, he's been finding goals for fun, uh, and I think uh, they've really defied the odds in Montreal. And I think uh, I'm not sure they can keep it going either. But certainly for the start of the season, it's it's been a very good start. Um, Austin Matthews out for four weeks not good news for the Maple Leafs this is not good news for the Maple Leafs at all I watched them last night I was I was watching them and sort of flicking between it the football and the uh, basketball Toronto did not have the same offensive threat without Matthews and he, he started the season with 10 goals 6 assists and 16 points I think he's uh, fourth in scoring in the in the entire league so that the, the Toronto Maple Leafs were relying on him a lot to start the season because without William Nylander, who is still in a holdout um, with them, they needed scoring from him, from Matthews and John Tavares, and now they've lost one of them, which means your biggest scoring threat has been halved. They could really do 
with ending that holdout with Nylander. And I know people have been saying that they're still a long way away in what he wants and what the Maple Leafs want to give him. But Nylander's probably sitting there thinking this is great because this could really influence what Toronto are willing to give him. And it could really uh, spark an upsurge in how the talks are going. Uh, Some good news coming out of New Jersey this week. A real feel-good story this week with uh, Brian Boyle, isn't it? Yeah, I left the best till last from the news. Brian Boyle, one of the most liked guys in the NHL. Um, I think everyone was absolutely delighted when they heard this. Yeah, his, his cancer is in remission. He was diagnosed with it early last season. They weren't sure how it would affect him, what, what it would do. He, he still managed to get on the ice for New Jersey, which was unbelievable. Yeah. And it's, that's, that's incredible. What, what he's done over the last year has been nothing short of outstanding. It's one of the best stories in sport, in my opinion. And now he's making a full recovery from his cancer, um, which is outstanding. And I know I, I speak for both of us when I say this is great news yes. for, uh, for him and w- well done to him. Um, and on top of that, he started the season well for the Devils. You know, he's, he, he's four points in eight games. He's playing a, a big role in their third and fourth lines. Um so yeah, just just a great feel good story all around, and uh, I don't know anybody, and I don't think there should be anybody who thinks this is anything but outstanding news. No, absolutely, it's incredible. Um, let's move on to then this game's weeks coming up. What do you fancy? <laughs> I like the Columbus Blue Jackets at the Anaheim Ducks. This is on Monday morning at two a.m. So again, just to specify, do not. Uh, <laughs> Do not sit up on Monday night waiting for the game to start at 2 a.m. on Tuesday morning. This is Sunday into Monday. I feel um, like you're trying to say this to me because you know it's something that I'm quite likely to do. Yes. Yeah, so, exactly so thank, thank you I'm for explaining that, yeah. You caught on quickly, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like this one because I think this this is a game that really sits well for the Ducks. And the Ducks have been very quietly impressive. Um, they're getting productions, production across all their lines. Um, they don't have one standout guy with uh, Corey Perry out. Uh, they don't have that one guy who's going to be your out-and-out goal scorer. So they've just run three excellent scoring lines, um, and they've just tried to dilute the scoring throughout, and they're getting production from all of them, which is exactly what you need to do when you don't have that standout guy. And it's working well for them. And then they're getting backstopped by John Gibson, who's been brilliant with a 9.38 save percentage. And it will go well against a Columbus side who have had their problems on defense. Now, they have Seth Jones back alongside Zach Baranski, which is one of the best deep pairings in the league, let alone Columbus. But whenever you don't have them on the ice, whenever you have someone else on the ice, Columbus looks shaky defensively, and that's why Sergei Bobrovsky hasn't been quite so good between the pipes for them. And that's why I can see the Ducks having a good game, particularly offensively, whenever you can get all of your lines playing similar hockey and just peppering Bobrovsky with shots from all over the place. Chances are quite a few will go in based on how he started the season. Um, on, on the other side, Columbus, Artemi Panarin, <laughs> this, this, was the, this was always the problem for Columbus. They either needed Panarin to have a shocking year or they needed to be an outstanding team in order to justify keeping him. Columbus haven't been brilliant so far, but Panarin has been, which only increases the possibility of should we trade him, should we not trade him, Um are we going to keep hold of him for a Stanley Cup run or are we going to get the maximum return for him now? Their front office is probably pulling their hair out uh, yeah. trying to decide what what to do. But whenever you have a guy like that, scoring just happens. You know, it's good. you get him the puck and he can make something happen. Uh, and that's why you can never count the Blue Jackets out of this game. But I, I like the Ducks. I, I think the Ducks are going to win this one. You're going for the Ducks. Uh, is the Columbus Blue Jackets yes. and the Anaheim Ducks Monday morning at 2 a.m.? Yes. Not Tuesday morning, Monday morning Not at 2am. So that wraps it up for this week then. Thank you very much for uh, coming and, and giving us your most insightful... I know you've been uh, you've been working hard on it since 6 o'clock this morning when you messaged me. Maybe, maybe. We'll, we'll pretend that I've been working on this 
hard for a week. <laughs> no, Adam, thank you very much again. Of course, just before we go, um, we did mention last week that, sorry, two weeks ago now, that we are on Twitter at the US Sports Hub. So uh, yes. if you want to follow us, you can follow us there. You can uh, listen to the podcast on SoundCloud. You can get us on Spotify. You can get us on uh, Apple uh, Podcasts. And I found out one this week. I was out with my friend the other week, and he was like, um, oh, I listened to your podcast. Oh, where'd you listen to it? Spotify or iTunes? And he said, Pocket Casts. So we're also there, if you've ever heard okay. of that. We're on there too. <laughs> I haven't. So yeah, um, and a whole load of other places, which uh, at some point I will find out where they are. But yep, that's where you can listen to us. You can get in touch on Twitter at the US Sports Hub and uh, we'll be sort of doing stuff on there at some point when we remember. Yeah. Thank you very much and we'll chat with you next week then. I look forward to it as always. See you then, mate.